Well, good morning. I am uh, on the mend. Those of you who have heard me hacking up a lung the last couple of Sundays, uh, I hope not to do that too badly in your ear today. Um, I am glad to see so many of you back. Jerry, Carol, Cindy, glad you guys are back. Thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> huh? What? Hey. You know, they, they, if, if I was down at the beach, uh, I'd be inclined not to come back in January to, to central Illinois, you know. Um, um, we, are, uh, we are looking at the, the Gospel of Mark and studying this book. Um, when I was a kid, we're in, we're in chapter 3 this, this morning, and the, the, the uh, topic we're going to be looking at is who is Jesus. When I was a kid... One of my favorite shows on TV, and you could still watch it back then. Uh, some of you high school students, I know you think that's when the Earth's crust was still warm, but, um, <laughs> but but seriously, back then you could you could watch it on TV, and it was the Lone Ranger. In fact, there were a few there were a few years in my life where I wanted to be the Lone Ranger. You know, I had the cowboy boots that my, my grandparents would buy me new cowboy boots every. Uh, year for my birthday i'd get a new pair of tan cowboy boots i had a red cowboy hat a vest you know the double the double rig cap guns i mean i had a spring horse that you could ride on and i mean we wore the springs off of that thing and and you would sit and i could sit on the back of the horse that i imagined was silver you know and i would turn on the tv and i'd hear this voice coming over the william tell overture a fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty hi-ho silver. It's the Lone Ranger. And I was like, yes. <laughs> okay. I, and every episode was the same, right? In every episode, the Lone Ranger and Tonto would come into this little community, and people are being oppressed, and, and here would come the Lone Ranger. And sometimes he would get captured, and then Tonto would ride in and, on his paint horse and rescue him, right? And and the Lone Ranger never shot to kill. He never got seriously hurt. He sometimes got captured. And a lot of times, he came really, really close to being unmasked, right? But it never happened. And at the end of every episode, every episode, you know, they, they, whenever they're chasing the bad guys, they always go past the same rock about six times, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, wow, man, that rock comes up a lot, you know? Uh, it was like a main character almost, <laughs> all right? And... <laughs> Uh, as I got older, I, I realized why that was. But, you know, as a little kid, I was mystified, you know. Uh, but every every episode, you remember when you watch that show, uh, some some random townsperson, you know, it's like, you know, shopkeeper number six or whatever, uh, would go, who was that masked man? And somebody else would go, well, that was the Lone Ranger. You know, da, 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 you know and now they go off into the sunset, right? And it's great. It's highly entertaining. I mean, it's still great. My... My older sister, a few years ago for my birthday, got me six of the Lone Ranger books. Oh, yeah. Okay. Found out they're collectible, worth money. Um, but anyway, um, I have not bought any more because they're collectible and worth a lot of money. Um, but anyway, uh, Jesus is at a point in his ministry where people are asking the same kind of question they ask at the end of the Lone Ranger. Who is this guy? 
Jesus is going around all over through the land of Israel, healing people and casting out demons. And yet, here's this dude who's the son of a carpenter who has got kind of a questionable background in that, you know, his mom and dad weren't married when at the altar uh, when she was uh, pregnant, and we don't really approve of that. Um, and he's this carpenter's kid from Nazareth, and yet he goes around, and when he teaches... It's as if God himself is speaking because he doesn't quote all the other authorities. He says, I say. You've heard that it was said to the men of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, he who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard that it is not, you've heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you, who are you? But I say to you, he who says to his brother, Raka will be in danger of the fires of hell. Really? Ooh. Who, are, who is this man that claims this kind of authority and who demonstrates his authority with power that comes, must come from God? And you're going to get a variety of answers in this text because people give a variety of answers about who is Jesus. You're going to see them here this week. All right? All um, right. About five different answers. Chapter, chapter 3 of Mark, starting in verse 1. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those who wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went out to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an evil spirit. (coughs) Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. You are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this chapter begins, uh, again, with another conflict between Jesus and the religious people. We saw last week that Jesus hates religion, but he loves sinners. He hates all of the efforts that we come up with as people to somehow earn by our own effort and our own power and our own steam uh, any way that we can kind of come up with to say, "Ah, see, God, look at what I'm doing. I'm trying to please you. Jesus finds all that stuff offensive, as a matter of fact. And so Jesus is in conflict with these religious people. And and one of the things they're trying to trap him into doing is to to violating the Sabbath. Because under the Jewish law, Sabbath breaking was a capital offense. Now, under Roman law, the Jews were not allowed to execute people for, for violations of the Jewish law. But nonetheless, they could discredit, at a minimum, Jesus and his ministry if they could make a credible case that he was a Sabbath breaker. Because obviously someone who really claims to come from God can't be in conflict with what, with what God has revealed to be true, right? Um, whenever somebody comes and claims to speak and to represent God, if you can line it up with what God has already revealed, they might have a case. If you can't if what they're saying is at variance with what god has revealed by his spirit and his word then you can go nope false prophet not from god and that is what they're trying to do they don't believe jesus is messiah son of god as mark says he is they believe that he is some sort of false teacher and so they're trying to catch him in some sort of sabbath breaking and so uh, here's this man, He's back. Jesus is back in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and here's this man with a shriveled hand. We don't know if he's been in an accident or if he has a birth defect or what the, the reason is, but for whatever reason, the, the man's hand is not usable. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, he's crippled up in his hand. And everybody's watching Jesus because they, you know, they know the wonder worker is there and he could heal this guy. I wonder if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. I wonder if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. It's kind of the, you kind of there's this electricity kind of pulsing in the room. You know, everything just kind of crackles between Jesus and these religious people. And according to the the rabbinic tradition, if you were sick with a with an ailment that was not life threatening, you had to wait until the next day 
to go to the doctor if it was the Sabbath. Uh, now, here's this, here's this situation, all right? Jesus knows that the Pharisees are lying in wait for him over this man. And so he asks him a, rhetor- a rhetorical question. Which is permitted on the Sabbath? Which is lawful, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Well, obviously, what's permitted is to save life and to do good, right? That there's never a good day, never mind on the Sabbath, to do evil and to kill somebody, right? And they don't answer. He's like, all right, you guys want to play... uh, Want to play adherence to the law game? Let's let's play. I'll throw you one and you answer it. And they just sit silently. Because they know the answer. Well, because the answer is obvious. To do good and to save life. And they just sit. And look at Jesus. Look at Jesus here. This is the only time in all four Gospels that you get this reaction out of Jesus. He looked at them in anger. It's the only time in four Gospels that you ever see Jesus angry with anybody. It actually states it in the text. You don't infer it from something else. It says it. He looked at them in anger. He was mad. And the reason that he was mad was real simple. Because these supposedly God-honoring men are so hardened in their heart that they care more for their tradition than they care for the needs of this man. And they would rather say, well, we're going to honor what the rabbi has taught us about what constitutes appropriate behavior on the Sabbath, even though the law never specified that you couldn't heal somebody. They made that up. They added that on. The law never said that. The law said you can't work on the Sabbath. But the law permitted things like if your sheep fell down a hole, you could get a rope and pull your sheep out. If your ox got stuck in the mud, you could get in there and help him out. That didn't count. That was okay. And here's this crippled man, man with a crippled hand. And they sit there going, well, I, I, in my piety, wouldn't dare heal such a person. Really? What they're showing is, is that their hearts are literally an entire universe removed from God. Because God actually cares about people who are wounded and hurting. More than he cares about human regulations added on to his law. And so he says, stand up. And then he says, stretch out your hand. And as the man does, his hand is healed and totally restored. Now that's really interesting, okay? Because has Jesus worked? He hadn't got up. (laughs) Okay, uh, has he done anything? Not so you could tell. But he ha- what he has done is he, has, he hasn't touched this guy. 
he hasn't, he hasn't like, like he did in, in one place, uh, it talks about how he healed a blind man by putting mud on his eyes. Didn't do that. Guy just sticks his hand out, and all of a sudden he has working fingers and hand again. But what he has done is he's humiliated these Pharisees. And so they start plotting with the Herodians to kill him. Now, remember Jesus' question? Which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill, to do good or to do evil? What are they doing? Evil and planning to kill. They're premeditating a murder. And what day is it? The Sabbath. Okay, just so we're clear on that. <laughs> okay. And then, and then get this, too. You've got the Herodians and the Pharisees that are getting together to plot on this. Now, let me just characterize this for you, okay? The Pharisees are the ultra-Orthodox, highly religious, law-keeping, conservative folk, okay? Uh, take, like, the most fundy Baptist, you know, long-skirt-wearing, turtleneck-having, you know, denim-jumper, uh, you know, type folks, Okay? Um, uh, who never smoke or play cards or cut their hair or, you know, that kind of stuff. Though it's the Pharisees, okay? Then you've got the Herodians. Now, the Herodians are like the, the San Francisco Democrat liberals, <laughs> okay, of the day. These are the people who are supporting the Herod family, who they're something else. I mean, they're a mess on stilts, okay? The... Uh, the uh, niece marrying kings of who, you know, the, I mean, Herod the Great, um, or actually Herod Antipas, uh, steals his brother's wife, who happens to be his niece, and marries her. Now, that's screwed up on all kinds of levels. But on top of that, the Herod family were the ones who were responsible for the murder of the innocents in Bethlehem. They were Idumeans, in other words, Edomites, and idol worshippers. And they're the ones that are put in place to rule over Israel uh, by the Roman government. They're people who are celebrating and supporting the importation of Greek culture into Israel. Okay, It would be like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh getting together with Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid and doing something together. I'm serious, okay? These people are at opposite ends of the spectrum, Okay? Um, and they get together, and they're plotting to kill Jesus. Now, they say politics makes strange bedfellows, okay? This is strange bedfellows for, in spades, all right? These people are as far apart as it is possible to be, theologically, ideologically, uh, etc., and yet they're together plotting to kill Jesus. Why? Because, first of all, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the rightful king of Israel, threat to the Herods. And he is claiming to be, have the authority to overturn the Pharisees and all their religious tradition, threat to the Pharisees. Therefore, threat to both of us, let's get together and kill him. Okay? And their conclusion, who is Jesus? Jesus is the enemy. We must get rid of him. Okay? Now, uh, you move on here to chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Um, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. Now, these people, to these people, Jesus is the wonder worker. 
The word for following that's here is not the word for following like you're a disciple of Jesus. It's following like you follow the carnival. Like you're a parrot head or a, you know, uh, you know, a, a deadhead or whatever, okay? Like, you know, kind of the, the wagon train that goes around behind a concert, you know? Because Jesus is quality entertainment, amen? I mean, you go around and people, and demons start speaking and he shuts them up and they come out with a shriek and, and people get healed. And I mean, it's entertaining stuff, okay? And this is great. I mean, it's, it's and it's free. I mean, he's, he's quality entertainment for your entertainment dollar, and so there's this big crowd following him. They're not following him because he is, uh, they want to, to follow him as Lord and as Savior, but because they are attracted to all of the things he's doing. And sure, his teaching is appealing to listen to and, and inspiring and all that, and that's good. <coughs> but, but he's, you know, he's, he's doing stuff. And so, you know, hey, I've got a sick aunt. Let's take her along and let's see if Jesus can heal her. And, and a lot of people um, kind of view Jesus that way. He's sort of this entertaining wonder worker. And they want to be around him as long as the miracles are happening. And so many are following that Jesus actually has to wind up getting into a boat offshore on the, lake of, on the Sea of Galilee, this big freshwater body of, of uh, this big lake in Israel. He gets into this boat so he can be away from the crowd enough so that they can listen because his goal is not just to attract a crowd of people who to be entertained but to actually teach them and offer them the words of life and to back up his teaching with the miracles to certify that what he's saying is true but his purpose is not simply entertainment uh and once again of course you have these demons as they're being cast out they are trying to identify jesus as the son of god and jesus says shut up and they do because Jesus does not want, as I've said, character references from a demon. Right? But he wants people to come to the conclusion that he is the Son of God. Based on the authority of his teaching and the truth of it and the glory of it, as well as backing it up with power. Now, you also meet the twelve. And this is the first time in Mark that they're identified. You've seen some, some earlier disciples that Jesus called. And then you, you also have the identification of the rest of them, the 12. Uh, this, you know, out of this big crowd of people, there are a few people who are authentically interested in Jesus and his identity. Not just as a source of entertainment, but as, oh, as, a, as a life that they're wanting to commit to. And for them, Jesus becomes the rabbi. And Jesus is going to call out of this group 12 guys. And the number 12 is significant because, of course, in Israel there were 12 tribes. And so Jesus is going to, is going to identify 12 men to be the foundation stones of the new people of God that he is establishing. Um. Jesus, did, remember I said a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is always looking to expand his ministry. And that's what the text tells us that Jesus is doing with these men. He calls to himself 12 that they might be with him. 
and that he might send them out to preach and to teach and to cast out demons, right? He's going to give them not only his teaching, which is why they're supposed to be with him, but he's going to send them out to minister in his power. Incidentally, does he still do that? Yes, he does. All right, in case anybody's confused. Do we still have the authority of the Son of God to go out into ministry? Yes, we do. How many ministers are here this morning? Get your hand up. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a minister of the gospel of Christ. Okay? Um, And Jesus, and we gather together, we do the same thing Jesus did. We have time to be with one another, time to go out into ministry, right? Just like Jesus' disciples. Um, And the disciples are going to give this answer. If you were to ask them this question, who is Jesus? They're going to say, he's the rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the one who is perhaps greater than Moses. But they've not yet concluded son of God. Messiah. He's the rabbi. You get another group. Uh, and this is this is a tough section here. Okay. Um, Jesus is the devil. That's what they're going to answer. Jesus is the devil. And this is the well considered upon reflection, we've decided. That Jesus is the devil. This group of experts in the law come down from Jerusalem. In Israel, you always go down from Jerusalem because of the way the landscape is uh, and the geography is in the nation. Jerusalem is at the center of the nation and at the highest point. And so every place from there, you have to go up to get to it, and you go down from it. And they come down from Jerusalem to where Jesus and and his followers are, and they start saying... They have no explanation for Jesus' power. They can't grant that he is the Son of God. And so they say this. He's possessed by Beelzebub. Um, By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Uh, the, The word Beelzebub literally means the Lord of the flies. Okay, uh, it's also uh, spelled a little differently. It's the name in, in Hebrew of, uh, of a god, a demon god, uh, Baal Zebul, okay, um, this uh, fertility deity uh, of the Old Testament, okay. But in, in the, by the New Testament, they're, they're spelling that a little differently to indicate that this is a demonic deity, not a god that we worship, okay. Uh, by the prince of demons, he is he is driving out demons, and Jesus gives this answer. And of course, you know, you ha- in our history, we have the great house divided speech uh, that's given by Abraham Lincoln. Where did he get that? Right here. Um, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. In other words, a nation cannot withstand civil war. At least not for very long. The kingdom is divided internally, eventually it collapses. Same thing with a house, right? Uh, some of you may even have experience with that. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And I'm not talking about the structure, I'm talking about the people within it. Um, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, his power is at an end. And by the way, this is the first time in Mark's gospel that this is Jesus beginning to teach in parables. 
so that he can clarify for people who are interested and obscure for people who aren't. And people who are interested in following Jesus for the sake of Jesus will get this. And people who aren't are going to be totally confused. And that's Jesus' objective. Satan opposes himself and is divided. He cannot stand. His end has come. In other words, his power has come to an end. And then he says this. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Who's the strong man? strong man is Satan. Who are his possessions? The people who are controlled by demons. And so Jesus is going to say, I am like a person who goes into the house of a strong man and because he is stronger, can tie him up and take off his stuff. Right? And Jesus is going to say, in other words, you think that by the power of Satan I drive out demons? No, no. By the power of God... I drive out demons because I am greater than Satan. I'm not in league with him. I rule over him. He is like a vicious dog that I'm going to go put the muzzle on. And then I'm going to cart off everything he's guarding. And Satan can only go to the end of his chain. Thank you very much. But I have total freedom to maneuver because I am greater than he is. Okay? I am not doing this of the devil. And then he's going to talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, this causes a lot of confusion, so I want to clarify what this, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, and I'm going to give you my best understanding of it based on my study of the Scriptures, okay? I, as usual, on controversial areas, I'm going to reserve the right to be wrong, okay? But this is, this is my best take on this, okay? Let me give it to you. All right. Uh, the blasphemy of the Spirit is the rejection of the ministry of the Spirit as revealed in Jesus. Because Jesus, when he conducts his ministry, does not do so based solely on his own power and authority of the Son of God. He does his ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like you and I have to, right? That as regenerate people who are adopted into the family of God and become his sons and daughters, we're given the Holy Spirit, and we are empowered for ministry by the Holy Spirit. But to reject that the Spirit is the one who is working in Jesus is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And to say that it is the devil who works through Jesus is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the rejection of Christ as who he is operating by the power of the Spirit is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why is it an unforgivable sin? Because the only way for a person to be forgiven is through the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, which occurred by the Spirit. What is the power that raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit. What is the power that did the miracles that Jesus performed? The Holy Spirit. So to reject Jesus is to be guilty of an eternal sin which is unforgivable. Why? Because you've denied the only method of forgiveness available. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, the only way to be forgiven is to trust in Jesus, who is empowered by the Spirit, just like you and I. And to reject Jesus is to burn the bridge that is the only one that gets you across the chasm. 
And so therefore, you can't be forgiven because you won't be. You refuse to be forgiven because the basis of forgiveness is the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Christ. Okay? And to say, well, Jesus is empowered by the devil is to put yourself directly at odds and in direct eternal opposition to God. And God can't forgive that which you will not release. Right? It's not that God sits on his hands and says, I don't want to forgive you, I don't want to forgive you, I don't want to forgive you. No, God stands ready to forgive you. But if you will not be forgiven, there's no way to forgive. Okay? Those who continue in rebellion stay unforgiven. And this is the only way. Um, it's an eternal sin because it's the only one that God can't forgive is the rejection of his son. Right? Uh, here's, the last, here's the last category. Now, this is an interesting one. I bet you didn't know this. Mary, his mother, and all of his brothers uh, come to get Jesus, according to verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him because they said he is out of his mind. In other words, Jesus is insane. And in fact, in verse 31, his brothers and mother show up, right? Why are they there? Because they're coming to take me away to he, to the funny farm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what they think they need to do with Jesus is getting one of those white sleeveless coats. <laughs> um, standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around and they said, your mother and brothers are outside and they're looking for you. And he answers the question this way. Who are my mother and my brother? He's not crazy. He hasn't forgotten. But he says, these are my, my mother. These who do the will of God are my mother and sisters and brothers. Now, I am very fortunate. I grew up in a Christian family. All of my family members and even the spouses are committed followers of Jesus Christ. And so I have my mother and my sister and my father and my brothers and even my sisters-in-law and those of them that have kids that are old enough to, to know the Lord. Know the Lord. I'm very blessed in that way. Uh, but if I didn't... Who are my mother and sister and brothers and father? God is my father and these are my, those who do the will of God are my brother and sister and mother, right? Um, that answer still applies. And he lays the foundation in this for both Jews and non-Jews alike to come into the kingdom of God on the same basis. Because it's not, uh, it's not about lineage, it's not about blood, it's not about genealogy. It's about who is going to do the will of God. Uh, and so, let me ask you a question. Think about this. Think about, based on how you actually live, not based on what you would say. If I were to ask you, who is Jesus? I bet most of you would say, with Mark, he is the Messiah, the Son of God. But not based on what you would say, but based on how you live. What is your answer to the question, who is Jesus? What's your answer to the question, who is Jesus? 
Um, remember, to the Pharisees and the Herodians, Jesus is the enemy. He's the enemy. And some of you might think that. as you're si- Even if you're sitting here in church on a Sunday morning being holy, you might think Jesus is the enemy. Because he opposes everything that you want, everything you desire at the deepest part of your heart, Jesus stands in opposition to. And so maybe you're continuing to go to church regularly. Maybe you're continuing to even give money to this place, which, by the way, please continue. Okay. Um, Maybe you are doing outwardly all kinds of religious things. But inwardly, your heart is in rebellion against God and that you have got some areas of your life which you will not bring under submission to his authority. And in those areas of your life, and therefore in, the, in your life overall, how you're living is that Jesus is the enemy. Or maybe for some of you, Jesus is the wonder worker. And you have a relationship with God kind of like little kids have with a vending machine. And you want to do, do things, and you want to put in your religious quarter and turn the handle and have God's blessing pop out instead of a gumball, right? Um, And you want Jesus for what he can do for you. As long as Jesus keeps blessing me, as long as uh, nobody that I care about dies, as long as nobody that I love gets sick, as long as nothing bad happens to me, I'll follow Jesus. Once that goes away or that changes in any way, then I'm not sure I want to anymore. Jesus is the wonder worker. Ask, if, you, if you think this might be true of you, ask yourself this question. If all of the blessings that I have from God ended tomorrow, would I still follow Jesus? Simply because he is worth it. That's a very Job-like question. Tough one to answer. Which do you love the most, the blesser or the blessing? Others of you might look at Jesus as rabbi. And you're like some of the guys I went to seminary with that love the intellectual stimulation of theology and doctrine and Bible and theologians. And you've got these volumes of stuff and you just love to dig into it. and It's great. And, you know, I can be a little that way. Okay. I like all that. I like commentaries and word studies and original language study and vocabulary and ah. I even get into diagramming Greek sentences at one time. I mean, it was really cool. Um, And you like all of that, right? And it just, you know, the, the whole religious thing just jazzes you, right? Okay, yeah, more power, (laughs) you know, and boy, you just feel the intellectual aspects of it just turn your crank, okay, and you view Jesus, though, as rabbi, and you want to learn from him, but you want to keep it all up here, all cerebral, and not make that 18-inch jump from here to here. Jesus wants to be more than just the savior of your brain. He wants his teaching to penetrate your life and heart and be outworked in how you live. 
He's not just the rabbi. He's Lord and Savior and Master, whom you must obey. Uh, other people, maybe there's even a few of these, who might think Jesus is the devil. Jesus is the devil. They don't deny his power, but they question the source. They look skeptically at Jesus, and they think that far from being the way, the truth, and the life, he is someone who leads people astray. When Britt Hume, a few weeks ago, uh, was talking about, he was interviewed about Tiger Woods, and uh, he said, you know, what Tiger really needs to do is turn away from Buddhism and embrace Jesus Christ. And I thought, Ooh, Stan, sucker. I mean, wow, national TV, and you're going to go for it, you know. And he got challenged on that. A lot of people went, excuse me? You violated one of the standards of political correctness. You don't talk about religion in public. It's not polite. And you want to clarify that? He said, yeah, I think, I think Jesus offers something that Tiger really needs, and he should take advantage of it. In other words, I'm not backing up, chief. Go for it, all right? Great, all right? I cheered. Um, But a lot of people in our culture, and maybe even people in this room, think Jesus is the devil. He leads people astray. There's a better path, and Jesus is the wrong one. There might be people even in this room who think Jesus is insane, Because he has asked you to do something which you are fundamentally uncomfortable with doing. And you think to yourself, Jesus would never ask me to do that. I don't want to do that. Therefore, I'm not going to do that. And i got to come up with some explanation as to why Jesus would ask me to do that. It must be that he's nuts. I'm not going to go give my life to be a missionary in a foreign country. I'm not going to go into the pastorate. I'm not going to sacrifice my standard of living to give to a missionary or to support the church or to to be involved in some other ministry i'm not going to give up my time jesus is nuts he can't possibly ask me of that ask that of me that that, that doesn't no that doesn't make sense jesus is nuts okay that's crazy i'm not going to obey that yet jesus demands obedience, even to things that make us uncomfortable, even things that sound to us nuts, right? Jesus is not nuts. He is Lord and Master and Savior and God. Uh, If any of these uh, conclusions, when you look at your life in the light of Scripture, describe you, may I encourage you, exhort you, beg you with all of the love of Christ to repent and to recognize that being in relationship with Jesus means doing the will of God and recognizing Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, Son of God, to whom we owe allegiance and obedience in our hearts. Let's pray.